Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. And uh, we are all here working on a uh, on a, on this weekend, and uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg uh, in the studio. We have Ed Cox, uh, New York State Chairman of the Republican GOP, and we have uh, Governor Dave, David Patterson. Thank you, Governor, for being here, and Rita Cosby. And today's a special day. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lita. Happy birthday to you. Wow. Wow. Thank you, that was amazing. I am going to hire you for like the choir. Governor, you were, thank you guys. It's really great to be 29 and it's an honor to work with all no, of you. No, no, tell, tell the truth. All right, 29. 27. 27. 29. Thank you. We have a very special guest uh, calling in. Breaking news, WABC. We have a very special guest calling in. It's the new Speaker of the House, uh, Mike Johnson. And um, we uh, have a few questions for him. And uh, um, Mr. Speaker, welcome to uh, Cats and Cosby. Welcome to WABC. Well, thank you. It's my great honor. I hate to break up the birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought you were the birthday present, Mr. Speaker. That's very nice. (laughs) You're too kind. You're too kind. We'll transmit some cake uh, through the... Can, can we well, yeah, yeah, exactly. These day and age, you can do anything with yeah, technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We've done everything that Star Trek does except uh, transmitting cake. Absolutely. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, it's great to have you here. You know, uh, let's start sort of with your vision. And also, we saw so much division that was happening, of course, before all of this, before you became the Speaker. Um, I think everybody in the country was relieved uh, when you got voted in very quickly. What kind of relationship uh, do you have with the Democrats, too, with Hakeem Jeffries? Where are things going with that? Well, I tell you what, it's a, it's been a tumultuous time in Congress. I think everybody can see that. And we walked through a dark valley together as the House Republican Conference. But when you walk through a valley, you always emerge on the other side. And we are very optimistic right now about where we're headed. We, we've come out of that. Um, I put it this way, and I've said this to some of our close friends who have watched and observed up, up close. The, the desolation that was wrought through that period was so complete that it broke everyone down to kind of their own individual core. And, and the opportunity that presents is that everybody's emerged kind of with this new spirit that we understand we really have to work together. And, and I think that gives us a real opportunity. We were stuck together, you guys, for 10 straight weeks. And former Speaker John Boehner always had a rule. You don't keep Congress together for more than three weeks at a time because they'll, they'll start to uh, – to get frustrated and wring each other's necks. And we saw that everybody's broken up. Now we've gone home for Thanksgiving. They'll get a reprieve. We'll come back and regroup and we'll run this agenda. And I am very, very bullish on the days ahead and the, and the future for the country. What are some of the priorities for you, uh, Mr. Speaker? Because of course I know you've just taken over, by the way, you wasted no time. I love the fact that right after uh, you were selected, you were voted in, you came right out and said, listen, there's no time for a swearing in ceremony. We got to get to work. And you did a resolution on Israel within hours. It was amazing. 
We did. We had to get right back to work. The house was effectively closed for business for about three straight weeks. And we, there's no luxury of complacency here. The hours late, the crisis is great on so many fronts. And we had to address it. So we came out immediately with Israel. We came out right after that and passed, by the way, a bipartisan Israel support package that was the amount requested by Prime Minister Netanyahu, my friend, and and we added a pay for. And that was kind of a seismic shift in Washington. Uh, normally, we uh, do supplemental spending without any pay fors, but we recognize right now one of our our primary objectives has got to be handling our nation's debt. So we can take care of our obligations, but we do it in a fiscally responsible manner. We have a thirty three point six trillion dollar debt, and so when you talk about our priorities and principles. The House Republicans are absolutely united on the fact that we've got to drive that down. We, the Treasury Department just announced about two and a half weeks ago that we're going to have to borrow $1.5 trillion over the next two quarters just to keep the government in operation. This is not sustainable, so we have to fix it. While we're doing that, we're going to fight for more American-made energy so we can get back to energy independence and dominance that we had several years ago, uh, secure our southern border. That's a big thing for the people. And and, and change the way Washington works, because ultimately we have to do that to fix this problem and restore trust in the institution that we all serve in and love. Uh, we've been yelling uh, loudly. I, I have, especially in on uh, Fox uh, Business, Fox News and, and WABC here uh, that uh, Chairman Powell keeps raising the interest rates and he's hurting the country instead of increasing our output on oil. And bringing inflation down that way. Well, that's exactly right. And if you saw the beginning of this Congress, the first bill that we passed as a as a House Republican majority was H.R. 1. And there's a reason it was our first priority, first bill. It was on energy security, because we understand if you unleash American energy production and exploration again, then that that ties directly to our national security. And, And a strong America is good for not only us, but for the entire world, for stability around the world. So you cannot overstate the importance of that. I I have some real disagreements with how the Fed has handled interest rates and all of this, uh, you know, the the spending policies and all the rest. And I think now even people who just a few months ago, certainly the last couple of years, were espousing this crazy modern monetary theory idea, this unicorn economics, you know, the facts are, 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 are being collected now. The data is collected. They can't refute it. That is madness. We have to have fiscal restraint. And it begins with being good stewards of the taxpayers' resources. And that's what you're going to see from our team from this point forward. Mr. Speaker, do you have a good working relationship with Hakeem Jeffries? Because I, I don't think the American people want extremism on, on either the, life, you know, the left or the right to affect the way America goes. No, it's a great point. Hakeem has become a very good friend of mine, and I, I trust him. I think he's a good man. He and I see things from very different policy perspectives, of course. Uh, our, our core principles may be a little different, but I, I know in his heart at the end of the day, he wants what's best for the country, and I do too. And so you saw that in, in before I took the oath of office when I gave the speech from the from the House floor, from the Speaker's rostrum there. I said that right at the outset, that that I, I look forward to working with Hakeem. And over the last few weeks, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, you guys, since I took the gavel 24 days ago, I think it was. Uh, no rest for the weary. But but along that path, many times along the path, Hakeem and I have had one-on-one meetings and frank discussions. And I, I, to your point, I think that's really important for our institution, for Congress to work. We're never going to agree on some of these policy positions. But we have to do it in an agreeable manner, even when we disagree. And I think that's important to keep the, the, the ball moving forward for the American people. 
Oh, Mr. Speaker, Ed Cox here, chairman of the Republican Party. I see you, Hakeem Jeffries, a little bit differently because we won 11 uh, seats uh, in uh, 2022. And uh, and uh, there are competitive districts, nine competitive districts, of which we have eight. And uh, he is determined to win those back. So we are nose to nose with him here, and we're determined to hold well, that, on to him. Ed Cox, that's a separate problem we have in New York State where, where you guys worked very hard and you got uh, – uh, a bipartisan, what was it? Uh, we won the highest court here and a special master redrew the districts and, uh, Lee Zeldin did very well, uh, in the right places. Lee's gone now. It's a mean, big, it was, but, uh, but overall, uh, the governor is overruled by, uh, two thirds in the assembly and two thirds in the, uh, the Senate and they put in their own judges in the court of appeals. And they're going to overrule you now, and you're going to be in trouble, so you're not going to be able to deliver 11 seats. Well, we're going to go back in the court to fight after they finish re-gerrymandering, and we're going to go up to the highest court again, and uh, and we'll fight it out and make sure that we have fair districts. Governor Patterson? Well, hey, and, uh, let me say, hey, ahead, I'm Mr. Speaker. all the way on that. Um, I, I, I just wanted to add, um, Hakeem and I can get along. I'm a happy warrior. I believe in the old Reagan Tip O'Neill model where you don't hate each other at the end of the day. But, boy, you know they would fight like the devil on policy, and that's what we're doing. And uh, we are going to retain those uh, those seats from those incredible members of Congress that the Republican Party sent to us from New York. That was one of the reasons that we all know that we won the majority. Those are our majority makers, those members. And I'm coming up there as early as uh, next week uh, to, to do events in those districts and help them uh, retain those seats and then grow our majority. So we've got to defeat these guys in the ballot. Don't Don't mistake me for uh, – the way we fight, we're, we're, we're going to win it. And we have By the to way, you have to come join us in studio. If you come here next week, you got to come join well, us. That'd be awesome. I, I don't know what my schedule looks like. They fill it up moment by moment, but that would be a great joy for me. Well, we're looking forward to having you here in New York. And thank you very much for coming here and working with our members of Congress. Okay. Uh, uh, Governor David Patterson, any comments? Uh, I would just say that both parties have, uh, at different times in this state's history, made a mockery out of the reapportionment system. But this time it was the Democrats, Governor. So let's be clear about that. And I'm the House Democrat, and I'm saying that. It's a Democratic Party that subverted the state constitution. They were set aside, and they're trying to do it again. And the only way you can have checks and balances in our government is if you have the House representatives in the Senate in Republican hands for the protection of this great country. Yeah, Mr. Speaker, go ahead. Well, that, I would agree with that sentiment. Uh, look, I, I think that we have to adhere to the to the rule of law, ultimately, at the end of the day. We adhere to the Constitution, and we respect those principles, and we're fighting for that in states all around the country. Uh, they're into reapportionment and the redistricting. You, you've got to you got to follow the law, not, not have gerrymandering, not have political games, but do it in a right and fair way. And I, I think some of these things will be resolved in the courts uh, in, in the, the months ahead, and that's going to be very important because it will help determine – who holds that House majority? And I believe our principles are the ones that will, will provide more opportunity and liberty and security for more Americans. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about taking that message on the road. Now, Mr. Speaker, uh, Ed Cox, you, you passed a continuing resolution that uh, the debt ceiling comes up again in February in the middle of the primaries. Uh, what is your strategy with that? Well, the strategy is to get the job done before all of that, of course. You know, we what we had to do with that continued resolution, you all know because you observe this, it, it took decades to get into the budget mess that we're in. The, the lack of adherence to the law, the Budget Control Act of 1974 has very specific provisions on timing and how this process is supposed to work with regard to appropriations and government spending. It, it just simply hasn't been followed for many, many years. 
And so what we wind up at the end of every year is some massive omnibus spending bill right before Christmas where Congress spends, you know, $1.7 or $1.8 trillion with 3,000 pages of legislation no one's read. We broke that fever for the first time in memory. We were able to get beyond the Christmas holiday, push the deadline into mid-January and then early February to allow more time for the appropriations process to complete. I think that's going to be a good thing for stewardship, and it's going to ultimately allow us to control spending. But here's the big news. We are going to change the way this is done going forward. I I have vowed to my colleagues we're not going to be in this situation ever again, which means early in February, we're going to begin on the next fiscal year, and uh, you'll see the process work much different. Great. Mr. Mr. Speaker, uh, one of the big problems that we have is our borders. Yes. Uh, Has there been any discussion with you and Hakeem Jeffries? Uh, there has actually about um, some provisions that that need to be agreed upon. Listen, even the White House recognizes we've got to have policy change at the border. In my view, they opened it up. I mean, I think that's what the evidence shows. I served on the House Judiciary Committee uh, before I became uh, speaker, and and we had many hearings with Mayorkas and, and Merrick Garland and everyone in charge of this. And it's very clear that policies are what have created the catastrophe there. So we have to change it. So we're going to use every leverage point that we have going forward in these negotiations on supplemental federal spending and all these other provisions to ensure that we can get real substantive change at the border, because I believe that is a root cause of so many of the problems that we're facing in this country. And I think most of the people agree with us. So the polling's on our side, the resolve is on our side, and I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to be able to affect real change there in the coming weeks and months. Mr. Speaker, uh, the most important meeting that's happened in the last week or so is the meeting in San Francisco uh, between China and uh, President Biden. And uh, it seems like they put out two different press releases, one for China, one for President Biden. Uh, did you have a representative at the meeting or, or have you been briefed on it, uh, uh, getting the truth? Well, they didn't invite uh, the legislative branch. We we were all just deep in the weeds in the trenches trying to uh, prevent the government from shutting down, trying to get the spending, the continued resolution negotiated. So we watched it from afar. And to be to be honest, I was so deep in the weeds and all that as speaker that I, I, I wasn't able to follow every detail of it. What I did see was the highlights, which are very disappointing. In general, I will say that it is a true statement, and anyone who looks at this objectively has to agree, that President Biden is projecting weakness on the world stage. And I'm, I'm from the Reagan school. He always said we maintain peace through strength, and he was exactly right, because if you project weakness, you invite aggression. And it's a dangerous time right now to be inviting aggression upon our country. And that's why you see China, Iran, Russia, all of our adversaries around the world uh, just doing what they're doing, being very provocative. I, I thought it was shameful that we gave standing ovations out there by these CEOs and tech companies to a communist leader of a nation that persecutes its own people and is causing havoc around the world and is trying to be a peer-to-peer adversary with the United States. This is not a game, and we have to take it very seriously. And everybody, we are speaking uh, to the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, here on Cats and Cosby. Uh, Mr. Speaker, to that point, I'm also thinking about Iran, uh, because here we have, you know, President Biden has not been enforcing the sanctions on Iran on oil. Of course, the oil we know is helping to fund the war machine, Hamas, Hezbollah, all these others. Also, we saw this week uh, that he looks like he's continuing this waiver uh, where they might get access to another $10 billion. Is there anything that Congress can do uh, vis-a-vis Iran and what's happening over there? We are certainly trying. I, I just believe that is absolute madness, what, what the White House is doing. How in the world would you risk 
further empowering Iran, which is the largest state sanction of terror on the planet. It obviously, as to your point, Hamas and Hezbollah are proxies of Iran. They are the ones that are effectively funding and fueling the, the, uh, the atrocities against Israel and unsettling the entire world order because of it. So we have to take a strong stand. I mean, this, this is, again, not a game. The, the, the way that we handle these foreign policy matters, these sensitive issues, is critical to the stability of the globe. It, that's not an exaggeration. So what we're trying to do in, in the legislative branch in Congress is, is force the hand of the White House. The problem is those of us who believe so adamantly about this um, are only the small majority in one chamber, one, one house. And we have to get Senator Schumer and the Democrats who run the Senate to agree with us to affect that change. But we're, we're trying to uh, apply every point of pressure that we can to the White House and, and pleading with them to change course because we've got to have a strong stance here. Yeah, absolutely. What about cracking down also on colleges, too? Um, you know, some of these things, yes. some of the protests we have seen and social media, it's been really frightening, Mr. Speaker. Well, it, it has. And you're going to see as we continue to haggle over finalizing that, that supplemental aid package to Israel, which is about $14.5 billion, um, you may you will see some some policy initiatives, I think, attached to that in the next stage. We, we want to crack down on some of that's happening. Look, we, we believe in free speech. We believe in the free marketplace of ideas as conservatives. That's a critical principle to us. But at the same time, you cannot have universities and radical, radicalized college presidents indoctrinating students and, and having them go out and engage in this activity that is turning violent on some of these campuses. I'd like to, I'd be curious, for example, to know these, these universities and, and, and these schools that are uh, collecting federal funding, I'd like to know about uh, their contribution records. Are they receiving money from Iran-backed proxies or some of these other organizations? That would be of interest to members of Congress who are sending them funding. Uh, we, we've got we've to look at this very carefully, and we've got to affect change in every way that we can. Mr. Speaker, I understand a lot of foreign governments are giving a lot of money uh, to uh, some of these universities that are indoctrinating our kids. They are. I think that that's beyond dispute. Um, we don't know the details or probably enough of the details of that at some of these universities. But I, I can tell you that there is a increasing amount of interest on the, on the part of many members of Congress about those details. It, it matters. And, and I'll tell you what, moms and dads who are out there across this country who are sacrificing to send their kids to these colleges and universities, they think they're getting educated. They're, they're finding out now it's more indoctrination than education. And that is a great frustration of the people of this country. And, and we really need to look at what we can do to, to change those policies and change that trajectory. It is not healthy for our republic. And everybody, we're talking to the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Judge Weinberg, you have a question. Mr. Speaker, I'm very concerned because you raised the issue of indoctrination. I'm very concerned about TikTok, which is controlled by the Chinese communists, and what they've been doing to our our young people who seem to get all their views and all their news from TikTok. And it's all about shaping a narrative, and it's an anti-American narrative. What say you? Yeah, I agree with you, Judge. I don't think there's any dispute about that. And, you know, they have very powerful lobbyists on Capitol Hill, and they're trying to protect their, their market share and their interests. But they, in my view, they have a, a, a very... Uh, a very negative influence upon our culture, our society, particularly our young people. Uh, it, it's a dangerous thing. And if you look at the disparity with how they use that that tool in China and how they how they use it and exploit it in America, you can see very clearly what it's about. In, in China, the, the, the young people are limited to, I think it's like an hour a day, and all they get is positive reinforcement propaganda stuff about hard work and how great China is and how evil everyone else is. And over here, it's complete trash, most all of it. Right. That our kids are exposed to. So it's something that parents have to be very wary of. 
They need to monitor their kids' intake. And in the meantime, I think lawmakers need to look very carefully about what we're going to allow on these platforms because it, it is, a again, one of these root causes to so many societal ills. Mr. Speaker, last question. One of our biggest concerns that we've talked about on WABC here is Washington is for sale. And it's so much money rolling into Washington. What can we do about legalizing the money that's coming into Washington? Well, that, that's a that's a big, important question, and there's lots of details. And it, it, we could spend a half hour drilling down into some of the subparts of that. But I'll just tell you as a general notion, I think the members of Congress have to commit on both sides of the aisle to restoring truth and transparency and, and trust in this institution. You know, we're in a constitutional republic. We're only 247 years into this grand experiment in self-governance. And the founders, when they set it up, they didn't know how long it would last. But they did know that one of the important ingredients of maintaining a constitutional republic would be the people's faith and trust in the institutions that govern them. Right now, we're at record low levels of trust. And that's a serious, probably an existential threat uh, to the continuance of our country. So I'm I'm focused on that. Many of my colleagues are. We'll be looking for ways to to increase transparency and trust. And I I think that's got to be a common theme going forward. And it's uh, checks and balances, too, on uh, what's going on in Washington. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I want to thank you for coming on today on WABC and our microphone, uh, which goes around the world, um, welcomes you anytime. And uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for joining me on my birthday, too, Mr. Speaker. I, I was going to say happy birthday. Happy birthday. What a great day. God bless you all. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. Let's take a break. Uh, and we're going to come back. And uh, me and uh, uh, Ed Cox and Judge Weinberg and David Patterson will talk about well, at the Police Athletic League lunch today, we had uh, Mayor Eric Adams, and we were all waiting to see what is he going to say? Is he going to cut the police? Well, let's stay tuned. We're going to come right back, and we may have Bo Dito calling in, too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. 
And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. Wow, uh, really fabulous to have the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, joining us on so many topics. And obviously the other big topic today, you guys, a number of you, uh, were at the Police Athletic League. I decided because it is my birthday that I'm able to, I took a little break. Um, but you heard from Mayor Eric Adams. What did you think, Judge Weinberg? Did he talk about police cuts? He wasn't uh, talking about specifics. He was talking about the economic crisis facing the city. He was doing everything he could to make sure we have a balanced budget as required by the charter. He was trying to make the cuts as minimal as possible as long as we had a balanced budget and not give up on uh, the important issues that face us, including public safety. And what did you guys take away from it? What did you take? Well, yes, and since he was talking to a PAL audience, he was talking about – Younger kids, and it's important to get them upstream rather than taking them out of the the water downstream. And uh, and he's going he's going to have to rely on organizations like PAL more going forward because of the budget cuts. Yes, and let's. let's uh, I mean, I was very. Everybody in the city is concerned. We're all waiting to hear the magic words. Uh, but uh, another uh, gentleman uh, that's a friend of us and WABC's is. Uh, uh, yeah, is Bodino, of course, the great he, NYPD detective. Yes. He's been a cop. And by the way, I'm watching the, one of the TV sets, breaking news. The biggest shrinkflation is Oreo cookies. Yeah, that is a crime. They're taking, they're taking the, uh, the, the cream, the, the cream center. out of they're Oreo taking, cookies. That, the center. that is the biggest crime uh, of all. Shrinkflation. I felt they've been doing that for 10 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, well, speaking, by the way, speaking of shrinkflation, well, it looks well, like know, that's what what's going to happen. Cookies? And, mean, hey, all, all I know is, first off, read a happy birthday. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Bo. Get, Thank I, you, honey. I, Thank you. I get the I get the overstuffed Oreo cookies. You can get the one with the more cream in them. The double stuff. Yes, cookies. that's all. I <laughs> double the price. That's all. But you know what? More. But you know, it's a metaphor for sadly what's happening uh, to the New York City budget and maybe the NYPD, Bo. Well, you know, I've been, I've been really this is right on point because I've been getting calls from fellas who are bosses on the police department, sergeants, lieutenants, even inspectors, detectives, and cops. Oh, I'm retiring. I'm getting out. This is going to be the biggest increase in retirements that this police department has ever seen because they said no more overtime. So in a lot of these people with the pensions, whatever you make your last year, that's what your pension is going to be. And if they don't go out, they're not going to get the pensions. So they're going to lose so many more than they know. Also, I do remember 1985, 1975, 5,200 cops were laid off. I was on the force five years. I get laid off, thank God, was only for about two days. And the rest of the officers that were on the force, a lot of the Vietnam vets that came over there, and it was horrible, it was horrible. And, I mean, as far as it goes now, we are losing the most experienced cops that are out there. And today, someone with three years on the force are the senior ones that are teaching the other ones that it's really going to get bad. And I worry about, hey, my son, Richard, got ran over by one of these battery-powered motorbikes, his ACL. Uh, he had an operation on Monday. I just was with him before. It, this is getting bad. It's only going to get worse. And the, the what's going on in our city is only going to take out from our heart. And, so, and, and, and these bicycles, people. we go across the street to, to, to yeah. the restaurant, and they're going both ways, and, and nobody does anything about it. At a 45 miles an hour, too. Yeah. You, you, know, you know, Ed, Ed, and also you got to watch you got to watch the other way. Don't think because it's, it's both ways. Yeah, both ways. Become, 
Yeah, so you got to be careful. Now, uh, what really got really good today is our Governor Hochul. I know a lot of you guys like her, but uh, I'm not in love with her. And when she just wiped, when she just wiped out this new bill, wiping out records with misdemeanors after three years, so what it's all about. A lot of the felonies are downgraded to misdemeanors. So you got robberies that are downgraded to grand larceny. Then you got felonies which are murders, and they downgrade them to manslaughter. And they does that mean years, if we hire somebody, we'll have murderers in Gristini stores? Oh well, how about yeah. this? How about you'll have a rapist, uh, a forcible rapist that got downgraded to sexual abuse, which is a misdemeanor or some crap like that? And you could have a rapist working in your home. As, a, as, a, as someone that's working or in your office, this is so ridiculous. What are you going to do, Mrs. Governor, when they wipe out the record? Are they going to be able to get a gun permit next? This is crazy. Well, it's uh, well, wait, wait, wait. the gun permit in Chicago. The federal judge in Chicago, was it? Yes. He says it's unconstitutional to deny a gun permit to a felon. And yeah. by the way, it wasn't just any felon. It five was a conviction. five convictions. Five I mean, you can't make it Unbelievable. up. Unbelievable. Well, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to make out two points. Number one, you're absolutely yes, right about the clean slate law. It's an absolute disgusting piece of legislation. It never should have been passed by the legislature, and the governor should have the courage to veto it. It's only going to hurt public safety. That's number one. Number two, uh, a judge out of the Bronx, just let out, no bail, even though it's bail eligible, Bo, some two guys or three guys who assaulted two police officers and the DA in the Bronx had asked for $10,000 bail and they were let out with no bail. And that's also going to lead to people leaving the force. They're out of their minds. that, That lieutenant was beat up, stitches in his eyes and all that. And they released it with no damn bail. And all of a sudden now, we're not going to have school safety officers. It's getting better and better. And now all of a sudden, the, le- the levels of police officers are out there so low. And they're even with the police officers that are out there, they're not getting involved because they know they're going to lose their job. Then you get a city council passes a bill. You know, I said that. Your- you're, I know, Bo, you Bo, you're absolutely bill. right. You know, you know, somebody said to me, look, arrests are down. I said that's because nobody's arresting. Yeah, they don't want to arrest. Of course they're down. Massage the numbers by not making arrests. Of course, John, you are so right. And the idea is, you could carry a machete around, and you could see stabbings and slashings are up, shootings are down. Don't carry a gun. Carry a knife and stab somebody. It is scary. Bo Gato, thank you for coming on, and hey, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again real soon. I love you, John, and keep doing what you're doing. And that speaker was very, very good. I listened yes, very intensely. He was good. Thank you, yeah, Bo. Thank you, thank you, you Bo. Okay, and who do we have coming up? Uh, we Rita? have Lieutenant Steve Rogers. He was with the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. He's going to talk about some major threats to the homeland and some very scary threats that are coming out okay, by way of social media. Let's take that break. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Katz and Cosby. Uh, there are lots of threats out there, especially with some of these anti-Israeli groups. We saw it at the Democratic National Committee office in D.C. Now there's a whole bunch of stuff on social media that's very scary stuff. A lot of different groups protesting outside of members of Congress's uh, some of their offices today. We saw it all over New York at a whole bunch of different locations. 
and join us now to talk about all of this and how concerned people should be as uh, Lieutenant Steve Rogers. He is a retired military officer. He was assigned to the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. And Lieutenant Steve Rogers, uh, how concerned? It's getting, you know, these some of these protests are getting really out of control, especially the one at the Democratic National Committee where they were pushing officers and the officers said they were just it was out of control. Well, I'm very concerned. And keep in mind that these individuals out there who are basically supporting Hamas as they are uh, protesting against Israel are emboldening the enemies of this country and the enemies of, is- of Israel to take things a step further. Uh, law enforcement needs to get tough. Uh, we need to arrest these individuals. Uh, if they don't belong in this country, they need to be deported. They need to be charged with aiding and abetting the enemy. This is the only way this is going to stop. We have to toughen up. And uh, we, uh, Judge Weinberg has a question for you, Steve. I'm very concerned, uh, Lieutenant, about fifth columnists that are already operating here. I'm also concerned about the open border where we don't know who's coming in and what their allegiances are and what harm they mean in this country. What are your thoughts on that? Well, listen, you're right, Judge. When I was on the National Joint Terrorism Task Force at FBI headquarters, we were gathering intelligence and information uh, with regard to what was happening at the border a couple, you know, many years ago. And our great concern was terrorists crossing that border, especially a terrorist that might be able to make one of those suitcase uh, bombs. But, but look, let's be real about this, and you are real when you uh, bring up that concern. Make no mistake about it. Uh, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and I would venture to say that uh, anyone who's looking to hurt this country already crossed the southern border. They have been planning, and we've got to get ready for some tough times. Wow. You know, um, Lieutenant um, Steve Rogers, as we're talking about all this, there's a lot of stuff online that's very concerning. There was this map with these targets. There was also these people, um, young sort of influencers that are almost like praising Osama bin Laden. It's frightening. What's going on? I mean, this is, are you worried about groups? Are you worried about lone wolves? And boy, there's a lot we have to do with education if, if that's what they're doing, if they're looking at these people. Well, worried about all of that. Now, uh, I could tell you many years ago, right after 9-11, I had been investigating uh, an, an incident where a woman, think about this, a middle-aged woman is walking down uh, an apartment complex. She sees a door open of one of the apartments in her hallway. She peeks in, no furniture, but there was a map of the United States on the wall with red tacks all over the country. Well, she had heard Attorney General Ashcroft the night before she took that little stroll uh, when he said, if you see something, say something. Well, she said something. She came to our detective bureau. We got a hold of the FBI, and lo and behold, they got very, very deeply involved. We never saw that guy again. They took him into custody. So when you see something like that, you need to say something, especially online now. We didn't have the Internet back then. But people need to speak up because they may be saving a lot of lives. Governor Patterson? So, Mr. Rogers, I was wondering, when you get these reports, uh, what are the criteria that, make that allow you to separate what was sort of bogus obviously just antagonistic um rhetoric that people put online and then those who are really seriously trying to take action to hurt people in this country well it's a great question and the answer is there's no criteria other than every single uh incident every bit of information everything you find has to be investigated uh, manpower, uh, you, you need thousands and thousands of law enforcement personnel and investigators involved in this because it takes one to slip by, just one. And boy, I gotta tell you, a lot of American lives could be lost. So 
Uh, it's a great question, but uh, uh, that's why we need the public involved. We need the public to, to speak up and to speak out. And the, the one thing I didn't want to hear from people was when they called the police and said, you know, officer, I hate to bother you, but you are not bothering anybody. You may be saving a lot of lives. What role do you think um, even like schools can do, too? Because we saw finally, and, and I was happy to see this, um, Steve, that just now, a couple hours ago, the Department of Education, Biden's edu- Department of Education said, OK, we're going to look into um, anti-Semitism. And they brought up Islamophobia in seven colleges, a number of ones in New York. What role, though, can schools do, and especially school administrators? Because there seems to be a lot of problems with these schools. Some of the things are, you know, some of them are free speech, but some of them are also bordering on really just uh, vile threats, hate speech. And it's it's sometimes hard to figure out when it's crossing that line. Rita, I heard the same song and ba- dance from politicians in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. In fact, I was involved with some officers who helped create the bias crime laws in New Jersey. Uh, especially addressing anti-Semitism, and look where we are today. What has to be done, and it's it's a long-term solution, we have to get back to a time when our teachers are going to teach and not indoctrinate. And ed, as part of education, pride for America, learn about your country, learn about the history with regard to uh, anti-Semitism. Well, young people need to know what that Holocaust was and what it did. And uh, never again should mean never again. Education in the long run, has a lot to do with it. In the short term, I say anyone who's promoting anti-Semitism, anyone who's looking to kill Jews, chanting death to America, death to Israel, they need to pay a price in the courts. They need to pay dearly because, it's, as you said earlier, it's getting out of hand and it's going to get to a point where many, many people are going to be injured and, God forbid, killed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lieutenant Steve Rogers, thank you so much for your service. Of course, retired military officer and also assigned to the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. Thank you, Steve, for everything. Come join us again soon. And thank you to you and your colleagues. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Uh, thank you. And now we have Steve Moore, another Steve. Yeah, it's a Steve day. <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, country's leading economists, uh, Larry Kudlow's on vacation. And Steve Moore, tell us, uh, uh, there's a, on the Wall Street Journal, there was headlines. Are Americans falling out of love with the EVs, electric vehicles? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big story. I mean, all throughout the country, these um, major uh, uh, auto uh, dealerships are just filled with electric vehicles and EVs. And uh, I, I spoke at the Automobile uh, uh, Dealers Association meeting a couple of weeks ago. They said they can't sell the EVs because people don't want them. And it's really kind of, kind of amazing when you think about it, John Katz and, and Arita, because you know, the first, the government basically built the plants, you know, built for the car companies to produce these cars. Then you've got uh, the government bribing people with a $7,500 check if they'll buy an EV. And then several states, I don't know if New York is one of them, are kicking in another three to $5,000. And then you get all sorts of discounts on, you know, if you use uh, for recharging, you can recharge your car for free. It's like getting free gasoline. And still people don't want to buy them. And that's because people have a lot of problems, especially for long travel. EVs are just not a good way to, uh, you know, drive more than 100 miles. Now, Steve Ed Cox, uh, California has particularly draconian uh, rules with respect to EVs. Is that right? What are they? Well, they're basically uh, they have a law that will essentially make um, non-EV cars illegal, believe it or not, within I don't remember the exact date within five or six years. And that no, and then they also want. Here's one that's amazing to just give you a sense of how nutty things are sometimes out there on the left coast. 
they want to get rid of um, trucks that use um, diesel. Now, how are you going to, let's say you've got a two-ton truck with a huge cargo. You think you're going to be able to carry that cargo with an electric battery? I don't nope. think so. Now, the other headline. I mean, it's crazy. What are these people thinking? And so here's what's scary. You know, what they want to do is have this law in California, and then if truckers can't, you know, take a, a gas car into California, then they're going to say, well, we have to change our whole fleet for the whole country. So this isn't just nuttiness in California. The problem is that this plague might uh, invade the whole country. And look, I just published these statistics just so you guys know, and I think your readers and, and your, your listeners understand this. 80% of our energy today comes from where? Oil, gas, and coal, and diesel. And then another 10% comes from nuclear power. So there's no green energy transition going on in this in this country. Last year, the United States used more oil and gas than ever before. John Katsimides, why don't we produce the oil and gas in North Dakota, in Alaska, in Texas, in West Virginia, rather than getting it from Iran? We are capable of producing between... Canada and the United States, 20 million barrels a day, and uh, we can make America self-sufficient. And if we produce 20 million barrels a day, gasoline will be 50, be about 50, 55 dollars a barrel. And you know what that means? That means interest rates have come down back to two, three percent. Well, John, I want to correct you on one thing you said, because 95 percent of what you just said is true. There's one thing that I would add to what you said. You left out. You said this would make us energy self-sufficient. No, it wouldn't make just make us energy self-sufficient. It would be making uh, North America the largest producer of oil and gas and export of oil and gas in the world. So we wouldn't even have to rely on the Middle East. And that doesn't count the Arctic Ocean and Alaska. Yeah. <clears throat> we start producing there. I mean, look, the United States is a country that is endowed with more natural resources. And I want to add one other thing to what you guys are talking about. What about minerals? We have trillions of dollars of mineral wealth in this country, and Biden has killed the mining industry. He's I killing you. If Donald Trump uh, gets back into office, we're going to mine for these resources. By the way, you can't have electric batteries without minerals. By the way, um, you know, all of this, obviously, a lot of it goes back to China, too. You know, I want to ask you, Steve, more real quick. These, uh, Did you see the list of businesses and businessmen oh, so who attended disgusted. this $40,000? Oh, I knew you'd be up in arms about this. Oh, I am so disgusted by that. Shame, shame, shame on these American CEOs of American companies uh, that basically gave a standing ovation to President Xi, who's one of the great villains of the planet. Who uh, got the, the money, by the way? Violation. Yeah, yeah. Who what got the yeah. what? Who got the forty thousand dollar forty thousand yeah, to sit with I, him? Who made the money? Yeah. And by the way, they give him a standing ovation. I mean, it's outrageous. They would do this for Hitler, I guess, if they could make an almighty buck on it. Wow. But do you know the organization? Do you know who benefited? It's an interesting question John's asking because, yeah, I mean. Hey, Reed, it sounds like you need to do some investigative reporting on that one. Sounds, I think so. Steve Moore. I think so, Steve. Thank you. And I'll be listening to you tomorrow. I understand Larry Kudlow's on vacation. You're going to be replacing him between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock. And your own show, More more Money, money between 2 and 3. Yes, you got it. No, 1 to 2 is the More Money show. One to two. Okay. It's a Steve Moore safari. That's great. We love it. <laughs> so in other words, 12 to two will be still received no, more. No, Larry actually got another replacement from 12 to one. Okay. And I'll be on from one to two. Just to, just to set the record straight. But uh, by the way, Larry and I are in Mar-a-Lago right now. We're about to go see the uh, guy who should be still the president of the United States. Give him my regards. Yeah. I will. Keep it Thank posted. you so much. Let's take that break. And when we come back.
John Solomon has a big scoop on Hunter Biden. Stay with us. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Breaking news, WABC. And joining us now with some big breaking news is the founder of Just the News, the great investigative journalist, John Solomon. Uh, John, you have a big scoop about Hunter Biden. Go ahead. Yeah, listen, this is a question I get asked all over the country. How has Hunter Biden been living the last few years? Uh, after all that foreign money from Ukraine, Russia, China dried up, where did it come from? Today, we answer the question. To the tune of $6 million, Hunter Biden has received assistance from Democratic donors uh, from President Joe Biden's 2020 campaign. In fact, the assistance began in February 2020, right during the middle of the primaries, when his dad was trying to win the nomination to run against uh, Donald Trump. Uh, a, uh, a Hollywood lawyer named Kevin Morris started providing him money that ultimately turned into about $5 million, a little over more than $5 million. They were papered up as loans, so they're promissory notes that become due after Joe Biden's second election. So after the 2024 elections, when they start to become due, uh, that is some of the money, a million dollars of um, uh, paint sale, painting sales. Remember, we wonder how much is he making on those paintings? Well, it's about a million dollars gross before he splits up the revenue with his partners. But that deal was arranged by another Democratic donor and fundraiser for President Joe Biden. Some of the people who bought the paintings, well, they're Democratic donors and supporters of President Biden as well. For the first time, we have a sense of just where Hunter Biden's getting his money when the foreign spigot shut off, the Democratic donor spigot turned on. And uh, I guess they, uh, uh, they, they go on the favored uh, nations uh, list and they get invited to uh, White House uh, functions. Well, at least one of them we know, uh, one of the purchasers of the art, got a, a plum appointment on an art commission, a federal art commission. So, uh, yeah, there are some evidence of that already here. Uh, this is going to become very important because Kevin but, Morris just got a letter. This, is, from this, has been, this has been going on forever, things like that. Uh, uh, you, you make donations. You, you, know, yeah. you know what's interesting? Happen. But you know but what's interesting, John? Is, uh, is he paying the taxes on the money? And also, have you ever heard of an attorney, Kevin Morris, is Hunter Biden's attorney, paying you, paying the client? That's a new one, John. Well, the attorney, <laughs> somebody should depose him because... Obviously, the attorney is doing it for a client. Yeah, well, that's one. The answer of deposing him is exactly right, John. Uh, on Wednesday, Chairman James Comer sent a letter to Kevin Morris saying, "Come in. It's time to be interviewed by Congress. We'll see if he responds." I just got a little breaking news just a second ago. I just got word from Chairman Comer that James Biden, the brother of the president, the man who had the loans going back and forth with Joe Biden, he has agreed to come in and do an interview voluntarily with Congress. Uh, in uh, right after Thanksgiving. So there's some breaking news as well. So a lot of interviews, a lot of depositions, a lot of subpoenas flying around Capitol Hill today. Wow. By the way, that's a big deal that James Biden, right? This is the older uh-huh. brother of, of Joe Biden. The president has agreed. What could he say? Because there was a lot of money that came into him. I mean, Rita, if I wanted to give you a million dollars, I'm not guilty of anything giving you a million dollars. I would say thank you. Yes. And the only question is, uh, how do I get into this? Did you pay taxes? That's a great point. But it's different also when it's an attorney. This is the attorney representing him. You kind of wonder, you know. The question is, is the attorney representing a client that's giving the attorney the money and doesn't want to be identified? Yeah, there's a lot of questions. The question is then, is it against the law? Think, let's think about it. Is it against the law for me to give my attorney a million dollars and tell my attorney I want you to turn it over to X, Y, and Z? John, go ahead. 
Well, these are questions that Congress can have. The IRS agents looked at this for a while, and they thought that this amounted to a campaign contribution, meaning the reason Hunter Biden was getting this money was to keep his tax debts from becoming public during the 2020. A lot of this money went to pay off his way overdue taxes. Uh, but prosecutors rejected the idea. I put those documents out today. People can read them. Prosecutors are like, ah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bring prosecution that way. So the legality of this is here. Listen, these are loans, right? At some, The big question will be, does Hunter Biden ever be asked to repay these? Will he repay them? That'll be a question I'm sure Kevin Morris gets asked when he's questioned. Right, exactly. Is it loan in quotes? Um, real quick, John, uh, what is the latest with uh, Robert Hurd we saw yesterday? Just, it looks like he's not going to go after uh, Joe Biden on the classified documents. Forgive me, but weren't they like near the Corvette? Weren't they like strewn? He was a senator during some of them. It should be obvious that he wasn't allowed to have them. Wow. Uh, listen, uh, we've seen this with Hillary Clinton. We're going to see it again with Joe Biden. If the reports are right, and I'm getting the same nod that they are, there won't be criminal charges. There'll be some harsh words. So uh, President Biden will get slapped on the wrist, unlike President Trump, who obviously got indicted for similar issues. Uh, we'll see what the report says, uh, but I don't think Congress is going to let this go. I think this could be fodder in the uh, congressional impeachment inquiry. In fact, if you saw James Comer is now demanding that all the White House officials come in and he subpoenaed the former White House counsel, compelling her to give testimony. So this is becoming part of the impeachment inquiry. Not going to be a federal charges by the Biden Justice Department, but maybe in the impeachment inquiry. Well, John Solomon, thank you so much. And we'll catch up with you again uh, soon. Thank you. Good to be with you today. Well, all you guys on the other side are lawyers. Are you allowed to do that? Uh, as a lawyer? Well, I said, well, in other words, if you had a client, yes, and he says, "I want you to give a million dollars to David Patterson uh, for his singing, for his singing." <laughs> Are you supposed to report it? Uh, is David Patterson supposed to? No, report if I'm it? acting as your agent, I just pay him, and uh, and David's got to re- re- report it. Or you but have to if report you didn't it as tell a gift. Him it was me. Uh, that, well, you would have to report it as a gift. That, well, and, by and the pay way, the tax gift that, tax. But if, I, if he if he gave me a, a painting. Ah, that's different. Ah, buy a, a gift, a gift, a painting. But a but there yeah. is a report that uh, that David Weiss is looking into potential charges as a grand jury in okay, California. Let's, so let's, let's be clear. See. That that's that Patterson saying is better. It's priceless. Than the other guys. <laughs> it's right. priceless. Thank God it's Friday. Thank you all, Governor Patterson, Ed Cox, uh, Judge uh, Weinberg. Thank you all, Rita. Have an enjoyable birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday, Rita. Thank you, guys. I love you all. Thank you. uh, What do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, and the American way. way. Happy birthday, Rita.